greet you in the worthy name of our Lord and Savior this morning. It is good to be here with you. And as Steve reminded us this morning, each day is a blessing from God. Each new day is a blessing from Him. And uh, I don't think any of us yesterday were wondering if today was going to dawn. We just figured, we just knew if the Lord would not come before, that another day would dawn. And it reminds us of the mercy and the faithfulness of our God. So it is good to be here with you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Several weeks ago, it may have been a month or so ago, as I was uh, reading this scripture, something really stood out to me and uh, in this passage. And I shared some of it a couple of weeks ago at church, and uh, I felt like I ran out of time. And so I condensed some of that, and I'll share all of it this morning. Now, the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to the Christians throughout Asia Minor, to both the uh, Jews and also to the uh, Gentile converts. And it was to churches, I believe, that was largely founded by the Apostle Paul. And Peter sends this message of encouragement, instruction, and admonition to the churches. And what Peter wrote about A.D. 60 or 70 is certainly for us today as well. And in this chapter, he speaks of growing in Christ and how that as God's people we must live. We must live honorably and holy. And then at the end of the chapter, he gives us the perfect example of Christ. And though he did no wrong, yet he suffered and did not retaliate. I'd like to look into about this uh, middle part of this of this chapter, and I would title the message "The Believer's Duty." We'll begin reading in verse eleven through seventeen. <clears throat> Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that. Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We'll stop there. Now, Peter gives practical admonition for how a believer must live. And I think verse 17 sums it up. We have here four commands. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And that's what we want to look at. We want to focus on that for the next little while. First of all, he says that we are to honor all men. 
What does it mean to honor? The dictionary says it is to give high regard or respect. And so we are to respect all people. And it does not matter their color, their gender, or their race. God has designed and made each one. And we find that, I'd like to look back in Genesis chapter 1 for just a, a few verses there. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over all the, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he them, created he him, male and female created he them. Now chapter 2, verse 7. And God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God created man in his own image. He breathed in him the breath of life. Therefore, man has dignity and has worth. And I believe from the moment of conception, human life has... Human life has value and worth. God gives life, and he is the only one with the right to take it. Now, sometimes we may find it easier to honor some and perhaps be a bit more disrespectful to others. And it's very interesting what James says about that. I'd like to look for just a few minutes at James chapter 2. The first eight verses. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto into your assembly a man with gold with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye then not partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If you fulfill the loyal, royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. And so James says that favoring some above others is wrong. And so I ask the question, is it possible to have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? Is it possible to have the faith of our Lord and then treat someone or treat some with respect and others with disrespect or contempt? And perhaps we'll look at that a little later. But let's look at what James was saying here. So if someone is wealthy and well-dressed, 
We're not to treat him or her better than someone who isn't. And why is it, I might ask, that someone with an abundance of wealth in this world's goods is often looked up to and favored over someone who doesn't or yeah, doesn't have these things. And I know how it is. You know, it's easier to ask someone for advice that is a wealthy, successful person. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that because we do want our businesses to prosper and, and so on. But I do believe that it is wrong, and I believe this chapter would bear this out, to hold in high esteem a wealthy person and at the same time treat a poor person with contempt or disrespect. And so we would invite certain people to our house, but not these people. We want to be associated with this group of people, but not with those people. I find verse 4 interesting. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become as judges of evil thoughts? As followers of Christ, we are not called to be judging others. And I think when we esteem the wealthy over the poor, we might be doing just exactly that. <clears throat> in our mind, we think that the poor is, well, you know, they're maybe poor managers and they don't, well, you know, you know what I mean. And then so we base our thoughts and we base our opinions on that. We base our opinions towards a person on their, on their appearance or the things that they have. And very likely, that judgment is very wrong. We have no idea what the other person has went through, the struggles they might have faced and went through. Uh, perhaps he put more emphasis on raising his family and helping others and accumulating. And furthermore, we don't know how much he gave. And I gave the example in our church of a brother that I knew. He has since passed. But he was someone that, um, how could I say? He didn't have a lot of this world's goods. And uh, every now and again, you might hear some not so nice remarks about his management and so on and so forth. But the fact is that he was very compassionate towards others and their needs and their hurts and things like that. He was very compassionate towards them. And he had time for people. Verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? And I don't know what all this means. But <clears throat> when I think of the time when our Savior walked on earth, who listened to him? He accepted his message. 
And it seems like it was mostly the poor and the uh, society's outcasts. Now it does, we do read, I believe it's in Matthew, of, of Joseph of Arimathea, that was, it says he was a rich man and a disciple of Christ that came and, and begged the body of Christ. He wanted to give it a decent burden. But by and large, those that Jesus associated with was the common and the poor. And then Jesus also gave the account in Luke chapter 10, a very familiar account there, where a lawyer asked him, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives the account of the man that was on the road to Jericho. And the first, and he was, we know the story there, how he was robbed and beaten and thrown in the ditch in the road to, to die, I guess. And then first of all, there was a, there was a priest that walked by and then there was a Levite that walked by, and they just, well, they looked and went on. And then there was one that came and looked down on the man that was hurt, and he was the one who had compassion. Now, why did the priest and the Levite just walk on by? Well, perhaps they felt that such work was beneath them. Why care for the poor? And, and really, they had, they had no respect for the poor, for this poor man, and had no care for him, really. Would the priest and the Levite had done differently if the injured had been one of them? Well, I don't know. However, it's important to note here that the one that was despised by them was the one that had compassion on this on this man. The Samaritan loved his neighbor as himself. We might ask the question, how do we respect or honor the dishonorable? And I hesitate to use that term because I don't know if I want to, I don't know if it's proper to call anyone dishonorable, but I, th I think you know, you know what I mean. And we all face these things from time to time. Perhaps it's a co-worker we have a hard time accepting or get, getting along with. <clears throat> Maybe it's people at work that we, or in society, that we rub shoulders with from time to time. Perhaps it's people that we meet occasionally that display all the evidence of someone living, in a, living a hard life. Well, the fact is that they too are indeed valuable and they have potential. You know, I think of the verse in Scripture that says, What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And we, we use that verse in referring to those that try to gain everything in this world. And so what's the point if you lose it all and you lose your soul? But I wonder if it also means that one soul is worth more than all the world. And if we look at it that way, Indeed, each one is valuable. <clears throat> what are some ways that we can honor all men? I think one thing that, that we can do and, and should do is share a smile or a nod. And I think that's something that shows a recognition. Just like it shows recognition, which is an act of respect, 
just like purposely ignoring someone is an act of disrespect. And I know as we're at the store, you know, we can't, how could I say? We can't, say what I say, we can't greet everyone. But if someone makes eye, con- eye contact with you, what, what do they see? The second thing I have here is if they talk, listen. And you know, you might not be at all interested in what they are saying. But it might mean a lot to them to have you listen. <clears throat> and doing that, I think, is an act of respect and honoring. The third thing I have here is, is a general friendly appearance. Now that doesn't mean that we give undue attention. In this world, sometimes those things are taken really wrong. But it does mean not looking or acting like you tumbled out of the wrong side of bed. And the fourth thing I have here, in regards to showing respect to our employer or, or co-worker, sometimes going the extra mile shows respect and honor. <clears throat> and I think that's important. <clears throat> and then the fifth thing, Jesus reminded the lawyer to be a neighbor to others he meets. Now, <clears throat> back to uh, our question. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Can we? Can we have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with with respect to persons? I hardly think so. To have faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will have experienced his love. And that love will not allow us to treat some with respect and others with disrespect or contempt. Now, in uh, verse 8, If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. And I believe that this is the key to answering the question, how do we honor all men? One writer said this, as followers of Christ, we must love the unlovely, respect the irresponsible, and be patient with the arrogant. Now the second command we have here is to love the brotherhood. And I'd like to look that and look at that in two dimensions. First of all, loving each one individually, then also collectively as a body. To love each other is a decision. It is our choice. And all of us know that the closer that we get to each other, the more we see each other's faults. <clears throat> the more we see each other's faults and flaws. And so we must choose to love each other in spite of those flaws and shortcomings. Now in our church, when the young people come 
for uh, interviews for instruction class, our bishop asked them a lot of questions. And one of the questions that he asked is, do you get along with your siblings? And it's interesting the, uh, the response that he gets sometimes. One young lady I especially remember, she um, wasn't, she kind of hesitated a little bit and she's like, well, uh, yeah, for the most part. And I thought that was really interesting. And I told Eli later on, I said, you know, that was an honest response. Because the fact is, we do not always get along perfectly. We have our disagreements, we have our spats, but at the end of the day, we wouldn't trade our siblings for someone else's siblings. And sometimes among church members, similar things happen. There are disagreements. <clears throat> we don't see things all alike and there needs to be some give and take. And in the Beatitudes, we are reminded that a meek person will give up his way for the sake of another. That's a sign of meekness. And to always insist on my way shows an attitude of superiority and the lack of humility. And I believe that that humility and meekness go a long way in having a good relationships with the brotherhood. Now, just a, a minute ago, I said that the more we know each other, the more we see each other's flaws and shortcomings. But I hope that's not a reason for us to put up barriers around ourselves and try to insulate ourselves. If you were asked the question, do you want to grow in your Christian life? I believe most or all of us would answer that yes, we do. Well, part of loving the brotherhood is helping each other in that, which would include encouraging each other in, in the, uh, the gift set that we have instead of becoming envious of another's gift. You know, that's something that can be easy to do become a little jealous of someone that has, a, that has a gift that I wish I had. But instead of doing that, we bless him or her and then we encourage him or her in their gift and, and to use that gift for the good of others and for the glory of God. Just a verse in First Peter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's the purpose that God gives us gifts, to use it to bless each other and for the glory of God. Another thing that, can be, that is necessary in part of loving the brotherhood is rebuke. Sometimes that's necessary. And that's something that must be done with gentleness and love. Years ago when I was a small boy in Sunday school class, my uncle was the teacher. And uh, he, would, he would always stress or often stress that if we need to talk to someone in church about something, 
that we, do, that we go with love and not with a hammer. And later on, as I got to know more things about things he went through, I was reminded he really did know what he was talking about. <clears throat> and so that must be done with gentleness and love. Many times we do not see our own shortcom- our shortcomings. At least we don't see them nearly as easy as others see them in us. And so there are times that we need help with them. But actions should be taken in sincerity and in love and also be done discreetly. To criticize or humiliate rarely brings good results. And to approach someone with that intent shows our lack of love and says something about our own shortcomings. First Peter 4, verse 8 and 9. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And I'm not saying that, I mean, this is not saying here that um, we overlook sin. I believe sin in the church must be addressed, it must be dealt with, but then there's also flaws and shortcomings in each of us And so we must be forgiving and loving. And without love, there is not much hospitality. Now another part of loving the brotherhood is loving the body collectively. And I believe that's very important. We must love the body collectively as a whole. You know, it would really bother me if someone would say or think that this church would be much better if this person or that person would not be a part of it. That would really bother me. And that's why love is of utmost importance in the brotherhood. And if I lose my love for the brotherhood because I don't like two people, and so then I decide to change my membership to another church, What if I find four people there that I can't love? Four people there that I can't, that I find difficult. And I believe that if there are those in the brotherhood I can't stand, it's high time for some self-examination. Another part of loving the brotherhood we find in Galatians, <clears throat> Galatians 6, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of God. What's the law of God? The law of God is love. And so part of loving the brotherhood is to helping each other in our being part of, of the joys and sorrows that, that we face. One more thing I would like to say on this is when we fail to love and work together in the brotherhood, it mars and destroys our testimony for Christ. And I really believe that society around us knows when we get along and knows when we don't. And there's a lot more that can be said about that, but... 
The next one we have here is fearing God. And fearing God, I believe, is much more than just a respect for him, but it is having a reverence and an awe for him. We stand in awe of his majesty, of his power, his wisdom, his mercy, and his justice. And I believe when we see God in his glory, we respond to him in humility. And Isaiah is a good, chant, is a good example of that, and we won't take the time to look at that. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6. But when he got a glimpse of the glory and the holiness of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I believe he felt his own uncleanness in the midst of a holy and a righteous God, and it had a humbling effect on him. And he was willing to go and do what the Lord asked him. And I believe a proper fear of God will have a humbling effect on us as well. And it will, it will put in our heart a desire to worship and to serve him. And we will, we will really want to please him. And our focus then will be not so much on serving ourselves, but on serving him. Because we desire to please him and not do anything that would bring grief or sorrow to him. Now, I believe there are those that would look at God as what I call a slap in the back buddy. One that, one that is just along for the ride. One that would just wink at sin and overlook it. But we do not find that at all in Scripture. In fact, in Hebrews 12, maybe I'll just turn to that, just a couple of verses there quickly. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. For we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So God is holy, he is just, and all sin will be judged and dealt with. And I believe that one reason sin is not sin anymore in the eyes of some is simply because there is no fear of God nor a pro there's no fear of God or a proper fear of God and perhaps perhaps that can begin with looking at what is accepted in society and then we begin making comparisons and raising our way to do what we want even if it's against scripture Now, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I believe until we have a reverence and an awe for God, we cannot have true wisdom. I believe true wisdom comes only from understanding who God is and that he is holy, just, and righteous. And wisdom gives us direction in our lives. You know, decisions made in the fear of God will bring much better results than those made thoughtlessly and without regard of consequences. And also, I would note that a proper fear of God brings obedience to him. Find a couple verses in Deuteronomy chapter 10 that I felt were very interesting. 
And I'm going to turn there and read and uh, read those. This was given to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what doeth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord, his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. And I believe this, as I said, this passage was written for the children of Israel, but it is just very well for us today. And there is a lot that we can learn from the Israelites. You know, the healthy fear of the Lord brought obedience to them. And when there was a lack thereof, it led to disobedience. And there was, there was many times that God had to punish them to, um, to bring them back to him. I believe that a healthy fear of God will bring a willing submission and obedience to him. And we could look at Jonah, and I'm not going to take the time to look at that, but we know the account there. You know, God told him to get down and warn the Ninevites, and first of all, he refused. And I believe his hatred for them was greater than his fear of God. And, and perhaps if we'd know how the Ninevites treated their enemies, we would kind of understand why he was hesitant to do that. But yet after God shown his power in a very mighty way, Jonah was then willing to go and, and, and preach to them. Now as believers, God is not someone that we need to be scared of. You know, God is not someone that is up there with a stick just waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can punish us. There are many promises in scriptures reminding us of his love for us and the promise that he wants what is best for us and the promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And one of, the, one of my favorite scriptures in this is one that you're probably all familiar with in 1 John 3, 1. First part of that says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. What, what a beautiful assurance that is for the believer. But I believe the believer is. The unbeliever is fearful. Sin will be judged by a righteous and a just God. And scripture is very clear on that. Hebrews 10 speaks of a, fear, a fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation. And in Revelations, we also, it also speaks much about that. But I say may God bless his people that we have a proper fear of him. Now the last part we want to look at quickly is honoring the king. Now we need to keep in mind that this was written in a time when government and kings were not friendly to, to uh, Christians. But I believe that this is also a command for us today. Now. We have not experienced hostilities from our government officials. 
although I do believe that many are becoming more hostile towards what we believe. But even if our government would persecute the Christians, it still would not change this command to respect and obey them. Now in Romans, it talks about civil government being ordained of God. It says he is a minister of God for our good. And so God has set them, God has set them in their place for a reason. Now, there's a lot of things about our government that we don't agree with. And so the question comes, how do we honor them? How do we properly honor them? And perhaps it's easier to think of what we should not do. Well, first of all, I think we should really be careful how we, how we talk about our, our authorities. It is never good to talk disrespectful. And I believe that our testimony is hindered if we talk or act disrespectful towards our authorities. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that I do not agree with our president. But if our president, if I would get a notice through the mail saying our, the president is coming to our house for lunch, I fully expect that we would all welcome him. We would serve him the finest. I think we would be hospitable. I, I really believe we would. And later as we're sitting in the living room discussing his policies, I would probably try and very very respectfully give my point of view but I would want it to be respectful and uncondemning now I don't expect any of us will have that opportunity but some of us have and probably the most of us the rest of us will at one time experience a time when we see red and blue lights flashing in our rearview mirror and when the officer is standing by our window, what kind of an attitude will he sense coming from us? I was told by someone that when a DOT officer stops a truck and he walks up to the door, within 10 seconds he can tell the attitude of that driver. And that can change things a lot in your interactions and what, what happens now. <clears throat> Now, we know that just because an officer puts on a uniform, that does not make him or her perfect. And we know, you know, we've seen examples of those kind of things in the last number of years. But that doesn't change the fact that we are still called to respect. I think one of the worst things that we can do is, is uh, talk and act respectful, is talk and act disrespectful towards our authority. As I mentioned, it hurts our testimony. But you know what else it does? It teaches our children to be respectful to authority or to be disrespectful to authority. It teaches them that being disrespectful is okay. And some of their authorities are us, their parents, and their teachers. And so I think it's something that, that, that we ought to, we need to think about. And as I have shared this to you, you know, several, I don't know, a month or two ago when I read this, and it really stood out to me. And, and I, I have told our congregation at home 
that I think the Lord, well, I don't think, I know the Lord knows what I need. And so he brings some of these things to my attention for me to study. Now in closing, I'd like to read yet Matthew, a, a portion in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of, under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light to them that are in the house. And then the verse I really want to look at for a minute is verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I believe one of the ways that we can let our light shine before men is in the form of respect and honoring. You know, and it's, it's my desire that all of us let our light shine before men, that they see our works and glorify God. Not glorify us, but glorify God. And one of the ways I think, as I mentioned, we do that is, is living a respectful life, being respectful to others. And that's my desire, and my desire for you all as well. Let's kneel and pray.